Community Radio. All your friends are doing it. 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 Best frequencies forever. Shadow time. Noun. A parallel time scale that follows one around throughout day-to-day experience of regular time. Shadow time manifests as a feeling of living in two distinctly different temporal scales simultaneously, or acute consciousness of the possibility that the near future will be drastically different than the present. I spent the past week in COVID uncertainty. It didn't turn out to be COVID, but the strain of isolation and ambiguity and the discomfort of whatever unrelated symptoms I was having still took their toll. I don't know if the things I choose to watch during these times actively create my reality or if they just reflect it. Maybe a little of both. I guess there's something to setting a mood. So I binge-watched seasons one and two of HBO's The Leftovers. Bleak, existential, deeply mysterious. It was interesting timing since I was reliving some version of early pandemic lockdown, where it felt like the world had ended or was ending, and I didn't know what was happening. You know, it's that old fear that I'd hoped had eased up by now. But maybe since we've been through it, it'll always be accessible. Living in a body is like that, existentially unsettling, deeply mysterious, sometimes bleak or scary, sometimes feeling like the world has ended or is gonna end. Living in an imperfect body can sometimes feel like the grittiest noir shit ever. So maybe it's time to give up on doctors and healers and get a grizzled private eye with a drinking problem and a history he doesn't like to talk about to help me figure this out. Summer kisses winter FM. I'm Lily Sloan. You just heard 
Julie Cruz's Summer Kisses Winter Tears, the perfect introduction for today's show. The feeling I was just describing at the top of the show of ambiguity and shifting sands in the body and the mind coincides really well with today's feature uh, by producer, sound designer, engineer, and sometimes radio host Adrian Lilly, who's going to bring us on an eerie Lynchian noir journey through headaches, hallucinations, maybe, and lucid dreams. So up next is a voice memo from Adrian to get us started. And then her story, Summer Dream Noir, begins, presented in four segments with some music and checking in from me in between. Uh, this story initially aired on WFMU, uh, and now it is here on BFF.FM. Here's Adrian. Okay, hello. Uh, I'm Adrian, and let's see what to say about these. I think a lot of what I would say about them in terms of what they're about or what I'm doing is pretty explicit like explicitly stated within the pieces. I don't think that these little little noirs are subtle by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but inspirationally, I think it's a combination thing. One is this was originally part of a three-hour set uh, for WFMU. It was a fill-in for a show called Radio Avrioli. It's just one three-hour set. And these were like little sketches within that set. And that set was really like a love letter to noir as a genre um this is a reimagining of that like took those and and condensed them into something else and built more of a narrative around it and um yeah so it's it's kind of a combination of being really inspired by just really liking noirs uh specifically the thing i like about noirs is that they they feel like the vibe of the conspiracy like floating around and trying to figure things out but it's kind of irrelevant if there is anything to figure out at all and I think that's what I like is like okay thinking as if you're trying to figure stuff out but also kind of knowing that there is nothing to figure out that there is no payoff that there are many things that are unknowable and yada 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 uh, so there's that part of it uh, the other sort of inspiration I guess the inspiration for the the kind of narrative of it is just um, my own long history with night terrors and sleep paralysis and sleep apnea and a lot of sleep issues that I've had basically my whole life. Um, and, you know, thinking about dreams as not something necessarily as mm, self-analysis, which is fine too, but trying to think about them more as just the world that they are in and of themselves. So the texture of it is really built on that idea. This like being in someone else's dream world space where like maybe there are things that you can start to draw connections between and maybe the person whose dreams they are can draw more connections, of course, but also there's just so many connections you can draw that none of the connections actually mean anything anyway. Um, again, back to that like <laughs> figuring things out that when there's nothing to figure out um yeah so i guess that's all i have to say about that um hopefully that's helps helps <laughs> yeah thanks a lot Yeah. 
trillion dollar cut on the debt, which Tom Coburn gave. Uh, I used to do a radio show, a little collage number about travel, being comfortable and ignorance. At least that's what I told myself it was about at the time. I don't do it these days. Times changed. I stopped traveling and as is often the case, things just fell away. Norway has become the first country in the world to shut down national broadcasts on its FM radio network. From now on, all the state broadcasters' radio programs can only be heard via DAB, or digital audio broadcasting. But I learned a lot during that time, like just how many terrestrial radio stations are religious, like how Norway is eliminating the FM transmitter altogether. That's really our question. Where is all of this heading? What does it mean? You know, I'm not an information person, so it's amazing I can even come up with those things. I don't retain it. Specifics don't stay in my head. They all pull together like a thick soup. Indistinguishable ingredients. That's fine with me. Sometimes I think information has a way of sticking in my head like ravioli. It all bakes together in my head like something else entirely like some other idea, but good luck separating the tomatoes from the cheese. I get tired when someone starts telling me something, especially something full of facts, new information. I only hear what I want to hear from it. I take in the bits that will taste good in the ravioli. Maybe at one point I fancied myself becoming a kind of information person, a party guest whose eagerness to recount the most minute but ill-prioritized facts of the latest scientific or social or political discovery or movement or theory would overpower any semblance of human connection that is at the heart of what conversation could be. Maybe I wanted to be that kind of person, free of an uncomfortable thought, void of a single second without information floating in facts. No room for wordless imagination. No tolerance for the kind of angst and fog and indescribable sensation that make up the more spiritual parts of life. Maybe I fancied being that, and maybe I could have been that if only those specifics well, would stick in my brain. If only knowing wasn't so much goddamn work. And Pearl and I happened to be over at the Pinnacles National Monument. We saw a tree like this, and I didn't happen to have the camera with me at the time. And I'm hoping I'll be able to pick the picture out so here. So now I'm going to tell you a story of sorts. One that has a surprising lack of credible information and a surprising lack of story. I think it all starts about 10 years ago. That's when I started hallucinating at night. Small stuff. I'd wake up and see what looked like half a spider on the wall, or there'd be a cat in the room with me. Mind you, I didn't have a cat. Sometimes I see cartoons in the trees outside of my window, or in the shadows on my wall. I lived in Chicago at the time, in an apartment behind the Congress Theater, an apartment that looked like a little house that had fallen on top of a pizza place. To get inside, you had to walk through the pizza kitchen. It was a big place, the apartment, but my bedroom was barely big enough for a full-size bed and a small dresser. I paid $300 a month, worked at a urology office during the day. The window in my bedroom was above the dumpsters, and I could look out above them, down the alley, at all the dumpsters down the block. Sometimes I'd see a fat little white dog walking around by the dumpsters next door. It lived in the pawn shop beside the laundromat. I liked that dog. I liked that apartment. I felt connected to that apartment. Like, like it knew me somehow. Like it breathed with me, or maybe it was me that was breathing with the apartment. It's, it's hard to know. A lot of time between me and that apartment now. My bedroom had a drop ceiling. Those flimsy rectangle tiles rest across an equally flimsy plastic lattice. When the windows were open or the pressure changed in the apartment, the whole thing would lift and expand like a huge inhale and a huge exhale. 
it would release down into the room. Like I said before, the place would breathe with me. This would have been about 2011 when I lived there. And about 2011 when my dreams started coming out of my sleep. The first time it happened, well, I was a kid. Kind of been more than six or seven. I was falling asleep in my old bedroom. The little bed was pushed up against the window. A streetlight outside would cut through the curtains with this alarming intensity. The light bisected the bed, cutting my body in half like a magic trick. I'd lay there trying to fall asleep, staring at that little strip of light across my middle. One night as I stared, I started to see a flower growing just on the other side of the little light line. I didn't want to blink or move. I knew it wasn't real. It was so vivid, it was so clear, it was soft. I stared, and I stared. I don't know how long time passed. It felt like forever, but I'm sure it was just a few seconds. I knew if I tried to touch it, it would be gone, but eventually I tried anyway. And yeah, I lost it to whatever part of the universe or my mind had created it. Nothing like that happened again for a while. Not at least until I moved to Chicago, became an adult. Small things here and there when I first got there, different apartments had different qualities to them. A bug that wasn't there, a sound, an occasional phantom touch, the feeling of the wind when there was no breeze. But that apartment, the one above the pizza place, there was a different quality to it. Something else was happening there. Situation because we do believe there will be a rapture. I mean, all these things are in the Bible, but it's also very clear that no one knows the day and the hour. So when someone comes out and says they know the day and the hour, we know it's false. Your reassurances 
Shadow Time on BFF.fm. I'm Lily Sloan. You just heard Chicago from Alt-J's latest album, The Dream. Today, we are on a chilling, uncertain, dreamy path with brilliant audio producer Adrian Lilly. And now for part two of their four-part story, here's Summer. investigating a robbery at the First National Bank of Toontown. Back in those days, me and Teddy liked working in Toontown. Thought it was a lot of lads. Anyway. I'm not big on story. Plot is something I can really take or leave. The illusion of story is a lot more compelling than the story itself. Intrigue that doesn't guarantee a payoff. 6.52 a.m. I'm in the carpeted kitchen of my rented room. Staring across the courtyard at this man, let's call him Victor. Victor is alone in his apartment and he's dancing. The windows have misted in from the corners. It was the summer of 2011. Victor is not a great dancer. I was starting to get headaches around that time. Deep, unimaginably painful, overwhelming headaches. The kind of headaches where there's really no thoughts in you except for the pain. I didn't know it then, but these headaches would eventually bore their way into almost every aspect of my life. They would take control of everything. But at that time, they were just anomalies. Terrible, freakish, independent, and isolated occurrences that had nothing to do with each other. There was something else, something more sensational happening in my head that year. It was a hot night that summer, 2011. No breeze. The box fan that I stuffed in the doorway wasn't doing me any good. It was just blowing hot air around the room. I was in and out of sleep, mostly out. At some point, I'd managed to shut my eyes, to lose some time. When I opened them again, it was still dark, still hot, and there was something on the wall. Something big, something moving, something I didn't trust. I stared at it for a minute. It looked like, like half a spider. No sound. There was no veering. It was a straight course. And uh, halfway out over the bay. And, uh, and no matter how much I focused and unfocused my eyes, moved my head or blinked or anything, I couldn't really get it be in focus, to be clear. Couldn't really see it right. I stood up in the bed, it moved, kind of scurried across the wall. Now my bed was pushed up against that wall and all my sheets and blankets were pushed up against the edge of the bed. I didn't want that bug getting in those blankets. I had a feeling something was off about this thing, like maybe it wasn't real or if it was, it was definitely something I'd never seen before. I started to move towards it. I was going to knock it off. And as I did it, it started to run faster. So I lunged at it. My hand hit the wall, almost exactly where I thought it should have been. But instead of hitting a spider, I rammed my hand into an old nail. Been there to hold up a painting at some point, but there wasn't a painting there now. So instead, I just pushed my palm with full force to the edge of a nail in the wall. The spider was 
gone, or maybe it was never there. At that moment, I kind of woke up, like out of a daze in a way. I had been fully awake, or so I thought, but I had a, a level of lucidity now that I hadn't had before. I pulled my hand off the wall, and with it, a little piece of skin came off and hung there on the nail. I'd see that half-spider over and over again for the next couple of years. stories to make any sense, there's something you're going to have to know about me. I lucid dream a lot. I mean a lot, a lot. There were periods of time when I would lucid dream every night, for months, maybe years, I don't know. I heard a radio program on Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell when I was just a kid. There was a guest talking about lucid dreaming tricks, how to break free, how to fulfill your fantasies and your dreams. The advice was stuff like checking things in real life to see if they don't add up in the dream world. You know, getting in the habit. Things like trying the light switch, noticing whether or not something's weird about it. Reading and rereading signs. Make sure the words don't move around on you. I still have kind of an unhealthy relationship with light switches. I'd imagine what I could do if I could just master lucid dreaming. The man on the radio suggested things like being with a beautiful woman in a sports car. I was 10 years old when I heard this, and I didn't really think it was so imaginative. He also mentioned flying, which, at least on that point, we were in agreement on. What I wanted to do was to hear things that didn't exist in the world to hear. I wanted to see colors that you couldn't see. Hear ultrasonic, see infrared. I wanted to live full lives in a single night. I wanted to grow up and die in my dreams and wake up again. The first lucid dream I ever had wasn't much. I was still a kid. I was sitting cross-legged on the kitchen floor, big black and white tiles across it. The refrigerator looked like a cartoon. Who Framed Roger Rabbit was my favorite movie at the time. I looked across the floor and I saw something moving across one of those black tiles. It was dark, blended into the tile. It jerked forward and a fear shot through me. I stood up quickly and as I did, the room around me faded into a highway where I was now standing in this grassy retention pond medium between the two highway directions. It was a sunny day, blue sky, green grass, lush trees lining the road. There was a sign, a big green road sign with bold white lettering, but the words, they didn't make sense, I couldn't understand it. They kept changing on me. I realized that wasn't real. I realized I was in a dream and what a blissful feeling that was. I felt totally free. And just like that, I woke up. I was sucked out of the dream, back into the darkened bedroom. The dog was laying on the floor, snoring lightly. I was so excited. I didn't realize what a curse this would become.
You are listening to Shadow Time on BFF.fm. I'm Lily Sloan, trying not to cry. That song is so good. Um, that was My Body is a Cage uh, by Arcade Fire, in this case covered by a giant dog on their song-by-song cover of Neon Bible. It's just incredible. Uh, and pairs nicely with part two of Adrian's Summer Dream Noir. From headaches that slowly take over your life to grasping for agency and lucid dreams, let's keep listening to see where Adrian takes us next. Here is part three, Winter. Where is all of this heading? What does it mean? The winter of 2011 in Chicago had one of the worst snowstorms on record. The doctor's office where I worked was closed for a few days, even the ale had to stop running for a minute. The ale never stops running. The snow felt like it was a story high. I'm sure that's an exaggeration, but that's what it felt like. That winter had been haunted by all the dreaming. The snow didn't help the situation much. That winter, I was waking up every hour, every night. Some combination of sleep paralysis, sleep apnea, night terror. I had a lot of dreams that would end with flooding. I'd stop breathing or I'd be unable to breathe. I know I was dreaming, that's the worst part. I knew the water wasn't real. I knew, was excruciatingly aware that I had a body, a real life body somewhere. I didn't know if that body was breathing or not. But I couldn't get myself to breathe in the dream, no matter how much I knew it was a dream. And I couldn't get myself to wake up, either. Every night, things went on like this. I'd eventually wake up, usually. Often because of the crack of a radiator, someone yelling outside, a little tap on the window from some particularly aggressive piece of ice. I'd wake up out of breath, terrified. More often than not, I was paralyzed for a few seconds, stuck staring at whatever I happened to be facing at the time. I'd try to call out, I'd try to focus on my fingers, the leg. Eventually I'd move, eventually I'd breathe, eventually. The night of the big snowstorm, I went through these processes about half a dozen times. I dream a lot about the same locations. These days, I find myself often in this underground mall. It's this mall with escalator upon escalator upon escalator, leading to different sections of the mall, to food courts, abandoned movie theaters. But back then, it was the parking lot of a now-abandoned attraction in Orlando called Mystery Fun House. The place was part arcade, some mini-golf, a mirror maze, a haunted house, lots and lots of animatronic creatures and characters. It was a pretty popular venue for birthday parties in the area. The entrance to Mystery Fun House included a huge animatronic wizard that hung, loomed maybe, above the main doors. He sort of moved around. I think his mouth might have opened sometimes, he waved a wand. The dreams I was having in that parking lot varied. It wasn't like a reoccurring dream, not the same events or anything. More like different plays on the same stage. That particular night, I was stuck in that common loop of mine, where I'd be standing in the parking lot, become lucid, and then on realizing that I'd lose control of my body. Or maybe I'd lose my body altogether. In either case, the result was that I'd sort of collapse into the concrete. 
like a skin suit. I'd start sinking into the pavement like it was cartoon quicksand. I'd know I was dreaming, so I'd try to just be patient with it, let it happen. I'd long since learned that some very powerful, not invisible part of myself really didn't want my conscience having any control over the dreams. So I'd sink into the pavement until it was in my mouth, in my nose, and in my lungs, and I'd stop breathing. I waited in the pavement, waited to wake up again. I tried to get myself to wake up. That didn't always work, so I just try to get myself to be calm. The little exercise I do is try to remember where my body was in waking life, what bed I was in these days, where I lived. You lose track of those kind of details from waking life. I'd misplace myself a lot. Trying to remember was a good way to stay calm when my lungs were heavy with some kind of imaginary asphalt or concrete or water or snow or whatever it may be. Sometime during this process, I started to hear music. My real eyes opened. I still wasn't breathing, which was a little unusual, but happened sometimes. But somehow more alarming than that, that animatronic wizard was in the room with me now. It was in that little apartment with me. That apartment above the pizza place, with the ceiling that breathed. It had come from the dream, and had stayed in the room. kind of like a shadow looming in the corner of the bedroom. It wasn't fully formed. Textured, bigger than the room. Almost like it was pulling on the walls, melting into the ceiling, fusing with the stack of books that I had that ran from the floor almost up to the ceiling. I stared at it a while. I tried to pull myself from the sleep paralysis. I tried to breathe. I tried to look away, see if it would leave if I didn't look at it. It stayed. My body finally jerked inhaled out of the dream but that wizard was still there I sat up it was still there when I looked at it it was like the wizard moved I'd never had something from a dream stay with me for that long what is he gonna do is he gonna put it in his living room uh, stare at it before he goes to bed at night what's it for no I'm afraid if you put it in his living room it the texture of the wizard finally sort of faded back into the wall, just became shadows, shadows of branches, paint spots on the wall, stains. I had a headache. I put on a coat, boots, stepped outside into the blizzard, tried to clear out the headache. see his silhouette. Victor is not a great dancer. There's too much of his person in his movements. The first place he bends is always at the knees and never at the shoulders. He stretches his arms or pushes his palms out, leans back and faces the ceiling in a way that makes his head look too large. And then with his shoulders and neck stiff, he sort of wobbles side to side. There's a yellow clamshell lamp glowing in the corner of his living room. Every time I watch you, Victor, you figure out someone's watching. 30, 40 seconds and you're at the window, wiping at the mist, eyes searching.
There's always something to figure out. I think. Even when there isn't, it feels like there's something to figure out. It doesn't matter really if there is or there isn't. Brain's gonna try to do it, try to make those connections anyway. It's a good thing I'm so terrible at retaining information, otherwise I might fall into a more conspiratorial brand of thought. What I lack in informational retention, I make up for in spatial awareness. I don't get lost. I've never been lost, and I've had plenty of opportunity. I like to feel a space, the layout, the air, the dust, whatever it is. I'm even good at spaces and dreams. I'm good at retracing where I've been, even when where I've been doesn't make any sense. What is all this about, anyway? Is that what you're thinking? That's what I'm thinking. It's not about anything, really, is it? It's just nonsense. The thoughtless connections and the frantic attempts to put the pieces together. But there's nothing here, you know? that they don't understand what the movement is about. It's about it's about them not having uh, privileges of the same care, the same amount as other people on Wall Street. Right now, I bank at Bank of America, and they want to charge me five listening to Shadow Time on BFF.fm. This is Lily Sloan. You just heard part three of Adrian Lily's Summertime Dream Noir. The conclusion is up next. I am popping in to say hi and to remind you to visit BFF.fm and make a donation if you're able. It's listeners like you who give this place life. Well, I'm going to turn off the mic now so you can hear the rest of this beautiful instrumental arrangement of Radiohead's Pyramid Song by Matt Hamovitz and Christopher O'Reilly. And then you'll hear part four.
few weeks ago, my dreams came back. The suffocation, the paralysis, and the exhausting awareness, it's always been there. But after 10, 15 years of managing to wake up, managing to be unharmed, be alive after every night, eventually it stops being terrifying and instead it becomes more of a vague irritation. They stop being nightmares in a way. But that doesn't mean they don't find ways to trick me here and there to come back. I woke up in a bed recently, a, a darkened room with green neon tint on everything. The bed was directly in the center of the room, brick walls, an open window at one side with a long, thin white curtain blowing softly. The room was about four stories up and the window looked out to an alley. Across that, you could see a fire escape ladder and a couple of windows in the building. They were all darkened, all shuttered, except for one. About a story down, that window was open, blinds pulled mostly up. I could see the floor of the apartment. Old wood looked creaky. It was illuminated by a television that must have been on the wall beside the window because I couldn't see the TV itself, only the shadow cast across the room. I could see the legs of a man sitting on a couch that must have been pushed against the back wall. Bare legs, no socks. He was shaking his legs a little. I was watching him, trying to look through that window when I suddenly heard a noise in my own room. I jerked my head around towards the door. A pang of fear shot down my spine. I froze. My partner, who'd been sleeping in the bed, looked up. He started to sit up on his elbow to ask what was wrong, and just as he did, a figure walked up to the bed and shot him dead. There was a brief moment of grief and terror, sadness, before I realized that this wasn't real, it was a dream. Thank God for the lucidity. Relief, and I was awake, sitting up, sweating, up from a nightmare, back in that same bed in the middle of that same room, partner sleeping soundly, curtains fluttering by the window. I look down through that window into that room with a television. This time the man is standing. He's wearing white underwear, tight, nothing else. My vantage point makes it so I couldn't see his face, just his body, swaying, sort of dancing in the light of that television. I remember something about a dream I'd had, looking out this window. Just with that, the fear shoots through me again. Figure comes through the bedroom door. My partner sits up, groggy, and bang. This happens over and over again. I realize it's not real. I wake up in the room with the neon glow and the bed in the middle, the curtain in the window blowing in the wind. The only thing that changes is that man in his underwear. I never see his face but he's always dancing or shaking or swaying, some kind of silent movement. The dancing never seems to be joyful, more like a desperate compulsion, a tragic waltz. I watch, I sit up in that bed, and I wonder who he is, what he's doing. I don't like him somehow. And I know something's not right about the room. I search my memory for a second to figure out where I might actually be, that exercise I used to do in lucid dreaming. But I'm not totally convinced it's a dream. There's just a sense of unreality to it. A sense that things aren't quite what they seem. Someone comes out and says they know the day and the hour, we, we know it's false. 
and uh, but that doesn't stop people. I mean, this isn't the first time this has happened. People get fooled all the time. That's really our question. Where is all of this heading? What does it mean? Thank you so much for tuning in to Shadow Time today. Please check the show notes for links and more information about Adrienne Lilly. It was such an honor to have her curate this piece for the show tonight. If you do Twitter and want to connect, I'm Lily Rose Sloan, and the show is Shadow Time Radio. You can also email me at lilysloan at gmail.com. Voice memos are precious and appreciated and played on the show. Next week's show is about the moon and features the incredible work of Ross Sutherland of the podcast Imaginary Advice, which you should definitely listen to. Uh, tune in, check out the archives, tell everyone you know, whatever you're feeling right now, your loved ones can feel it too. You are hearing Squirrel's spooky action at a distance from the Only Lovers Left Alive soundtrack. Stay tuned. For more BFF, DJ Mello is up next.